Well, hello and welcome to the Red Mountain Community Church podcast, where you can hear conversations with the people of Red Mountain Community Church as we pursue Jesus together. Uh, in each episode, we try to highlight what God is doing in someone's life or a specific theme in light of what God has revealed in the Bible. Uh, I'm Preston Hancock. I'm the executive pastor at Red Mountain, and today I am hosting the podcast. The regular host for this podcast, uh, Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, and your fellow seat warmer from Red Mountain Community Church, uh, he's under the weather, and he couldn't make it today. So, Peter, wherever you are as you're listening to this, we hope you feel better soon. Uh, and uh, he really wishes he could be here. And after hearing me host this episode, he's going to really wish he would have been here today for this. No, it's going to be great. Our guest today on the podcast is Jonathan Smith, who is a member of Red Mountain Community Church and uh, is just a great person that I've gotten to know. So, uh, hey, Jonathan, how are you doing? Hey, Preston. Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm good. excited for this. This is going to be uh, pretty amazing. Um, before we get into this, your story in particular, yeah, I thought it'd be interesting for our audience just to get to know you a little bit uh, by learning something about you that they they otherwise might not know from hearing your story. So I'm just going to ask you a couple questions, okay. uh, a couple of initial icebreaker kind of things. Super. So what is your wife's name and how long have you been married? My wife's name is Michelle and we have been married 32 years. Awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you have children. We do. I, I have three children. Okay. Uh, I have a daughter who's my youngest is a senior at Baylor. Okay. And my middle son uh, lives here in Arizona, as well as my oldest son is here in Arizona. Okay. So I have three uh, adult children. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's kind of nice. They're doing their own thing. Yeah. Uh, and what are you doing now for a living? What I do, I, I uh, have my own business. Okay. And uh, I'm in communications right. uh, across the board. So uh, we uh, there's a group of us partners that came together and formed a company called Hyperion. Okay. And we have become the largest wireless master dealer in the nation for all three carriers. Wow. So, but we all spent time in the carrier world as C-level executives and leading. Uh, so we kind of took what we learned and brought it forward and put it together, a company together that we're able to do some things that carriers can't even do themselves now. Wow. That's cool. That. Sounds like that could be a whole nother podcast episode to explore that one. But look, we're going to get to a very deep and meaningful question here. Okay. Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> uh, I will tell you, uh, for many years, I was Coke. Okay. But recently, I have gone to Pepsi yes. uh, Zero Sugar. Okay. So Pepsi Zero Sugar, I am, I'm all in on that, both okay. Michelle and I. Okay. See, that's, that's a rarity because... Most people that I found, like when we've done things in student ministry and that sort of, everybody's Coke. I'm a Pepsi guy. My wife is. So uh, I I feel closer to you already. (laughs) There's there's that reality. Uh, Okay. So here's a question. Uh, You've probably done some traveling, just uh, being an executive, that kind of thing. What is the most exotic or weirdest food you've ever eaten? Um, I have eaten monkey. What? I have. Uh, I, w- I went on a missions trip. Well, I spent quite a bit of time in South America. Okay. And I did a missions trip, and uh, we actually went into the jungle with a tribe called the Maku. And oh, wow. uh, in which country in South America? Uh, it was in outside of Brazil. Yeah. And um, it was in Colombia, actually. Okay. Yeah. And we. Um, 
at the time, it was New Tribe's mission. Now it's Ethnos 360. Yes. Still wonderful organization, many wonderful missionaries. But we went into the jungle and I traded uh, machetes for blowguns and darts. Uh, that's a story getting that As into the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I actually came home with malaria. Oh, yeah. uh, but uh, I had uh, I ate monkey. Uh, that was a course and a fish head soup that they served out there. They had served us. We were the guests and we flew into the jungle, landed on a small dirt strip. Yeah. Uh, they, they, I, they hadn't even seen many white folks my, and so we're touching our skin, sure. the kids that yeah. gathered around, but the elders of the village uh, had us for a nice dinner. Uh, it was, it was an experience of a lifetime. Wow. Yeah. I think you're the first person I've ever met. I've traveled quite a bit. I've seen some different things. I think you're the first person I've I've known to actually eat monkey. Yeah. It's okay. I did. Yeah. Won that category. Yeah. Okay. So uh, vacation, beach or mountains? Uh, mountains. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mountains for me. I, I love the mountains. I love the outdoors. Uh, I is love, it the coolness? Is it the? Uh, I, I just I just love the mountains. I love being outdoors. Mm. Cool, hot. Uh, the fall this time of year, yes. the fall and, and what the seasons and the, the wildlife and what to, I just, the mountains for me, Okay. And my wife would tell you beach, Okay. uh, for sure. But I, I being, and as you'll know, being in the water and sun for as many years as I did what I did, yes. but, um, mountains all the way. Okay. And we will get to that. Those of you who are listening, uh, to Jonathan's illusion there. So we're going to get to that part of his story. Uh, the last kind of quick question. Uh, so what would be your perfect evening snack or dessert? You're winding down the day. What, what would you go for? Um, I still do it today. Okay. Uh, I love pistachios. Just the nuts. Just the nuts. Okay. I like sitting with a Pepsi and a little bowl of pistachios. Okay. And that's my little snack in the evening. Okay. Uh, I, I just, I love them. I was gearing up for pistachio pudding or something no, like that. No, I, I mean, I, nuts. Okay. I love tapioca pudding, yeah, yeah. But, but but I love pistachios. Okay. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's good to get to know you that in that way, Jonathan. We're going to hear your story in just a second. But uh, first of all, as a reminder for everyone who's listening, you can message us on Instagram or Facebook with suggestions for fun things we could do or talk about before the interview, um, especially since I'm hosting today i can make the invitation to do something you know you could have pater i don't know rap or you could have him beatbox or something you know push him really out of his comfort zone uh or or just something fun to talk about uh but for now we're going to move things along and we want to get to the heart of what we want to talk about today because jonathan you've had some pretty you've you've had a pretty incredible life we're going to hear a story here in a second um and I even put down the incredible adventures of Jonathan Smith, which sounds like the name of a great book. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so we're going to get to that in just a second. Now, Jonathan, we get to hear kind of a fascinating story. Um, and, uh, you worked at SeaWorld and I'm going to let you kind of take it from there and just, kind of share your story. Uh, so, yeah. so what happened? Let's start with how old you were and how you, you got to working there. And yeah. You take it. Yeah. There. I'll start at the beginning, Preston. It, it, it's, it is a unique story. Um, and I, 
I'm hoping the listeners will love it. Uh, but what it all starts back to when I graduated high school, uh, I had, was going to college and I was accepted to Point Loma College in San Diego. Okay. And so Point Loma Nazarene College mm-hmm. is a Christian college. Uh, I knew that the only way I could go to college was I had to work full time. Right. That was the only way. So what I did, I lived in Brea, Orange County, California. That's mm-hmm. where I grew up, mm-hmm. went to high school. I, before, uh, probably about two and a half weeks before school started, I started driving down to San Diego from Brea, okay. about an hour and a half drive each way. And I would drive down, I'd take a little lunch, and I would started looking for a job. Okay. And the second weekend, I'd drive down, I'd look for a job, I'd put in an application or say hello, face-to-face, come back. And back then, the newspapers, this is in the 80s, were Mm -hmm. the big deal, but it was very hard living in Orange County. I didn't get the San Diego Union. I got the Orange County Register. I'd look in there. Well, I needed to find a job there. So I made that drive, and what happened was the second week I was checking out, and I bought a soda at Vaughn's Grocery Store, Mm -hmm. and it was on the corner of Nimitz and Rosecrans at the time, and I, the bag boy, I was checking out, and the manager came over and fired the bag boy literally right in front of me. Nice. And I I was stunned, Mm -hmm. but I left my soda there, and I walked, the manager walked away, I walked behind him, I said, excuse me, sir? My name's Jonathan. I'm looking for a job. And he goes, you are? I said, yeah. He goes, you're hired. And we walked in his office and sat and he, I told him who I was, what I'm doing. I'm coming to school. He said, you're hired. Great. He goes, when can you start? And I, we laid it all out. Literally within 20 minutes, I walked back out. I actually forgot my soda I bought, got my car and left and I had my job. Okay. So I packed all my stuff up for school. Came down to college, moved into the dorm, but I knew I had to work, and I started working at Vons. And I remember it was uh, $5 an hour, and if you worked on uh, certain holidays and things, you got a quarter more, because and it was union. Well, what happened about two months into that, as school started and I was working, the grocery store was union, went on strike. Okay. But I had to work. So I went to cross the picket line and there was a truck driver who pulled in the back and walked in the front to cross in to go to the store and open the back doors. And they started beating him up. All these folks picketing out in front of the store started beating him up right in front of me. And I was, you know, here I was 20 years old. And I said, what? I'm not, I don't want to get beat up. Sure. So I didn't cross the line, the picket line at that time. And I went back to my dorm and said, what am I going to do? What I ended up doing, how and why I can't explain. I went to SeaWorld one day. As you do. And, And why, I don't know. Are you a Christian at this point? I am. Okay. I am. I grew up in Chuck Swindoll's church, EV Free, Fullerton. Yeah, yeah. The youth group was 400 strong. That was my pivoting points of my foundation as a kid. Uh, th- junior and senior year, we'd do Mexico orphanage trips, and I w- just did a ton of things right. with the youth. I was very involved, and that was my saving grace, and that 
made me who I was and am today, gave me the cord. Doug Haig, who was the pastor at the time, a mm-hmm. uh, youth pastor, uh, led this. And so, yes, I was a Christian. Okay. No ifs, ands, or buts. So at this point, God is God or inspiration at this point, you don't know which, is, Cannot, is yeah. kind of led you to SeaWorld. SeaWorld. And I went, why? I don't know. I'm sitting there watching these shows. And I was watching the Seal and Otter show. And at the time, it was Uncle Schmedley's Castle, okay. Clyde, and Seymour, Clyde and Seymour, the sheriff and the butler. People mm-hmm. will probably remember that, or people hearing that will remember that. And mm-hmm. I sat up in the stadium near the top, and I said, I could do this. Why couldn't I do this? Mm-hmm. I knew I was a very strong swimmer. Okay. I was scuba certified. I was very comfortable in water. And so after the show ended, everybody filtered out and I went down and a trainer came out named John Spafford. And I started talking to him and I said, what does it take to be a trainer? And just firing questions at him. And little did I know trainers are prepared for that because the public stays around. They ask questions. How did you get involved? What do you do? And I remember talking to John as clear as I'm talking to you, Preston, and, and him saying, well, you know, we're looking for two people right now here's what you need to do you need to put your you know put it together here's who you need to contact guy named mike scarpuzzi and away he goes so i went back to my dorm room and i put together i remember typing because there were typewriters then um i typed my resume i took it to SeaWorld security and handed it to him with a cover letter that said mike scarpuzzi and i remember the security guard at SeaWorld time stamping it they put it in this machine and it put a time stamp at the top mm-hmm. and away you go didn't hear anything for about a week and a half and i had left him a couple messages mike scarpuzzi finally i called one day and he answered mm. and i said mike my name's jonathan smith i put in a red hey oh that's i did see that i'll tell you what why don't you come in and meet so i did we set the time up i went in and i'm considering it's my first interview sure so I went and I went and got a tie. I got a shirt. I got, I didn't own a suit. Right. So I had to borrow, I think, something from someone, a coat. And I showed up and he looked at me, came out, shook my hand. He goes, what are you doing? He's in shorts and a, and a SeaWorld shirt. And I said, oh, I, he goes, look, let's try this again. Come back tomorrow and dress casually. And we both laughed. So literally he excused me. Oh, that's funny. For, and I thought for that for dressing up for dressing up. All right. When does that happen? Right. Know, really. As you as you come up. So the next day I did show up. At, uh, we had the same time. I went in shorts and an op shirt. Uh, it was the old op back then. I had an op shirt that had stripes in it, and uh, we sat. And long story short, after about uh, six weeks that came down to, there were three, I found out later there were 372 applicants and two openings. And it came down to myself and two beautiful blonde girls. Mm-hmm. I thought there's no way I'm not getting this. Sure. Cause I, I was a business major, by right. the way, I wasn't oceanography. I wasn't, everybody else had animal behavior. Or there was a, there were some junior colleges that specialized in animal behavior training. That wasn't me. I was a business major. This was just a job to pay for school. Right. And so uh, long story short, they pulled me in. Mike Scarpuzzi looked at me. He said, you almost blew it, but we like you. You want the job? And I said, yes. So uh, I started scrubbing gates and fish guts and hosing and cleaning 
Uh, you get there early, uh, feeding the animals, food prep, doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I started. I started at Dolphin, and then I went to Seal and Otter and worked my way up to then uh, at the end, I made it to whale, and I was one of the whale trainers. Wow. That's unbelievable. So that's how it started. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's incredible. So what was it like working with the killer whales? Well, I'll tell you, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, you know, they were the killer whale show as an inside person and a trainer, you strive to get to that role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, there was criteria. They weren't just, you, you weren't a new trainer that would get in. You had to work your way up and to go sure. through it. And that was always my objective was to continue. You know, I, I believe you put your faith in God, he'll open doors, but you also have to do a little work. You've mm-hmm. got to work hard and work harder than everybody else. I try to teach my kids, you know, if you're in a room or you're working with someone, work harder, right. do go above and beyond. Don't just do what you're asked. And so I really started doing that. And I came up, I learned dolphins. Uh, I'd started your, your first, my first portion of the job. And I call it the first six months is I just did cleanup. I did food prep and I did cleanup, yeah. but then I slowly started learning how to train, what to train, what to do. And we started working with the dolphins and they were in a lagoon that was matched in mission Bay. I was at SeaWorld San Diego. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to whale, uh, the uncle Schmedley's castle did the sea lions and uh that was fun that was a fun show that made people laugh and uh you know we do eight to ten shows a day during summer and three thousand people each show and and they would it was entertaining it was fun and we'd switch off different roles you know i'd do first four shows butler and second four shows uh uh, as a sheriff Uh, had an experience there had a sea lion bite me in the leg uh, and go, that's another whole story. Yeah. But, but then came the day I, I remember getting the call and saying, Hey, Jonathan, we're going to move you and we're going to move you to whale. And I, I said, Oh, okay. If that's what you want and hung up and jumped up and down, I was <laughs> yeah, excited. Cool. You played it cool on the phone. I did. Yeah. I did. Um, and so I did, uh, I started there and I started in, I wasn't there that long. Was it terrifying getting into the... You know, it it wasn't. Um, No, I never have been scared and never was scared. And part of my interview process was interaction with the killer whales. Okay. Um, and, And believe it or not, in those days, they would do things that in today's world, you would say, no way, they didn't do that. Or insurance companies would say you didn't do it. But Kind of like I, shove you in the water I, and see what literally, happens. Literally. I mean, and, and <laughs> almost to the T, really? they had you jump in a side pool and they'd bring a whale in. And, uh, and then have them do a fast swim. And, yeah. yeah. And, and so there were those types of interactions, but I was never scared and, and uh, started learning, started immediately doing the show. And then came March 4th, 1987. Okay. Uh, I'll never forget that day. As long as I live. Um, what happened was I got up that morning. It was a sunny, bright, sunny day. Uh, and I had a bre- I had breakfast. I had a bowl of golden grams. Okay. Uh, golden grams was one of my favorite cereals and I had a bowl of golden grams and then I got into, uh, to SeaWorld there. And when I got in, we, we were mapping out, we would map out the day for the whales because you had to equalize and measure their food and, and get them their food portions throughout the day. 
So you would do training sessions in between shows. And at that time, March and March, we were doing three shows a day. Okay. So we would have multiple training sessions before, in between, and after to get them all the food they needed. That was the distribution system at SeaWorld, getting their food and doing the shows. Okay. And so we laid out on a big chalkboard who, what whales we were going to use and when. Mm-hmm. Now, I should state, back in that March time frame, uh, actually a little bit previous to March, February, we had SeaWorld had boughten uh, marine land out of Palos Verdes, California. Okay. And they had two killer whales there, Orky and Corky. Mm-hmm. And their facilities were so run down and so bad, I actually brought a piece of cement up out of the pool in the evening, one evening when we went with the president of SeaWorld, the vice president of SeaWorld, and I laid this big piece of cement at their feet I was in the pool, and I remember them looking at each other saying, we're going to close it down. Right. They did, and they moved quickly. Now, that was a big deal because the community didn't want that to happen. So in the middle of the night, we went and we took all of the animals from Palos Verdes, California, Marineland, and moved them down to SeaWorld San Diego. And it had to be in the middle of the night because they didn't want you know, picketing and all of that with the public. So we moved those two killer whales as well as walruses and all the sea life out of Marine land down on multiple, multiple semi trucks. And going back to, we were laying out March 4th, 1987 that day. Mm -hmm. We also that day had a elementary school of special needs kids coming to that show, the first show of the day, which was at 11 a.m., And after those types of shows, we have the class come in the back and we would do educational type things, show them, bring a whale over, talk about how much they eat, do all those things. So we knew that that was going to happen and that they were going to be there. What we weren't real sure was, was, was the PR was TV going to be there. And then we found out right before the show TV was there with the class to film them and to do that. And so we knew that the news stations were going to be there also. Okay. So I chose at that time to use both performing whales. Sometimes we would rotate, but we had to be careful because we had Orky and Corky in the two back pools and we weren't letting them have contact with our two performing whales K now and can do mm-hmm. until we moved to the new stadium, the one they're in now, which we were about six weeks away from okay. it being completed. So we were in a smaller stadium, but we just couldn't afford to have them have interaction. And Orky was a male whale. Our two performing SeaWorld whales that were there at the time were females. Right. And then there was Corky. Now, SeaWorld had other whales in Florida. We had a park in Ohio that was seasonal, and we had just opened San Antonio, Texas. So we had killer whales, and we would rotate them around a lot. And that's a whole nother story. How did we do that? Sure. But the reality was that day I decided we would use both performing whales in the first show of the day. So it would be really a, a great show for the kids and to go through it. Right. Now, in doing so, uh, d- had they been on schedule enough to get the food they needed? Because you don't want to be in the tank with a hungry killer whale. No, that's exactly right. And yeah. you, you'll say, well, how much do they really eat? It was anywhere from uh, 210 to 240 pounds of fish a day, each killer whale. So, um, 
that's how we would spread that food out. Okay. Mackerel, herring, smelt, those things would be all of that. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. So right. like I said, it was a normal day. And, and I remember having a devotional, eating my breakfast and saying, okay, I got to get in. I got to work. We set up the show. Away we go. We start getting ready. We start getting dressed. And I had started having a head cold a little bit. And I, there are two roles in the show. One does what we call the hydra hop, where you jump in the water and the whale gets on your feet and pushes you and you dive down and then you come flying out of the water with the whale pushing kind of pushes you. your feet down exactly. and then up uh, and you're standing on the nose. Exactly. You, yes. okay. you stand on the nose, you use your elbows to steer and the whale's pushing you and you come jetting out of the water like a bullet. Yes. The hard part, it's a great, it's fun to do, and we did it all the time. My problem was that morning I had like a cold. Mm -hmm. So to equalize, when you go down 30 feet, 32 feet, that pool was, and then come right back up, you have to equalize very quickly. For those that understand scuba diving, think that's clearing your nostrils, holding your nose, the pressure in your ears, it's equalizing. Sure. I didn't want to go through that, so I chose, my. I asked my partner, would you mind doing that portion i'll do the audience the hug and the kiss and do all that yeah great so show starts everybody's uh, the music's playing the stadium's full we start away we go and jeff does his part at the time he was my partner he does the hydra hop does things does that it's done and then my part i'm on stage and i say okay ladies and gentlemen thanks and i almost remember the lines you know today at sea world here's what we do and i'm walking and talking and i get over to the corner and there's supposed to be park ops will have picked someone to do a hug with me so they're standing there and when i get in the corner the whale should be there but there she's not there mm. and i knew she wasn't there she was kind of messing around mm -hmm. and so when she did come over and i brought the audience member up i reached into my bucket and i gave her one fish so I said, here you go, which basically was telling her, you're naughty. You should have been here and you weren't here. I know what you're doing. You're playing around. You better pay attention to me. One fish. And so that made her mad. She knew. So you got to the point where you could understand the whale's moods and they would they would behave kind of like pets, like in that sense. Uh, they would just be responsive to you, I suppose. Like you said, mad get a little fussy, get a little playful, distracted, all those things that we normally attribute to pets and things like that. hundred percent, Preston. I okay. mean, That's... moods, uh, there, there's things we would look for. Temperament. Okay. Um, we knew when they were mad, their eyes would be bloodshot. Around their blowhole are big veins, uh -huh. uh, like a human being. Uh, those would stick out in bulge okay. when they were got mad. Uh, so y there were there were signs that we would look for. But I wanted to say, you know what? You're not going to mess around on my watch. Uh -huh. One fish, you better pay attention. Right. We did that. Okay. We did the hug, and then I lined her up. Park ops took the person off, and I got on her back and I started talking. Here at SeaWorld, here's what we do. And, you know, I, my lines, I was doing all my lines. But as I got on her back, she didn't stay right in front of the glass to swim around. She kind of went to the middle of the pool. Mm -hmm. Now, we have hand signals that we use with all of the killer whales. Okay. And it, it's a trained behavior. And so I touched her on her left-hand side near her eye, which should have meant to curve and pull over to the side and go that way she mm -hmm. didn't she ignored me and i knew she was ignoring me so as we got 
as I swam the length of the pool and I was finishing my lines, I would go in the back pool with her through the channel and the other whale would come out. As we started to go through the channel, she dumped me off of her back, just rolled me off between the two pools. Now, I often say, and people have asked, I, 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 you know, as we're talking about, you've got to be ready to die. Remember, I get up that morning, mm-hmm. Golden Grams, beautiful day. Have, it's a normal day to me, yeah. right? I, I'm 21 years old. I'm, I'm, in, I'm Superman. I can do anything every day and nothing. I don't think about anything else. Love the Lord, but that was just another day. And all of a sudden, she turns me off. Here I am. And I should have been paying attention, Preston, because the gate, there are big hydraulic gates between the pools. Mm -hmm. That gate she dumped me off of, that channel, that gate was half open. The only way that gate gets half open is when it's opening or closing. If a killer whale comes and puts force on it and stops it from closing or opening, Mm -hmm. it freezes and stays right in the center. So you, it doesn't trap the killer whale. Right. Exactly. So if you see that gate open, you know someone stopped it. Right. I should have been paying attention, and I wasn't. And Jonathan, I got to say, and for you listeners, you can actually see video of this part. Because uh, before I've seen it before, but uh, before this podcast, you can go online and Google Jonathan Smith. Uh, there's no H in Jonathan. Jonathan Smith, uh, SeaWorld. And this video comes up because I know exactly the moment you're talking about. Yeah. I was watching it earlier. Yeah. Okay, so you notice the gate's open. Should have noticed it. Yeah. But you're... You're focused right now. I am focused. And so uh, what happened was she turned me off. I turned and got my hand on the side to pull myself out. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I got my hand on that side in that few seconds, she had flipped around, grabbed me, and was taking me down to the bottom of the main tank. So all I could see was this long black body and her tail going up and down. I was in her mouth. And she was working me. She was pushing hard enough to keep me on her sternum and grabbing me with her mouth. And I knew the bottom was coming up quickly. So she grabbed you from the side? She grabbed me straight on. I was floating. So she grabbed me from my whole side and just started taking me to the bottom. And it was about 32 feet, that pool. Uh And I knew what she was going to do. She was going to slam me against the bottom. And so I actually grabbed... you're going to laugh. I looked around. We keep a scuba tank in the main pool. We always have for emergencies. Okay. And I, to get my bearing, I, as I'm on my way down, I was looking and I could see the shadow of the scuba tank. So I knew right where it was. She, I didn't want my head to hit the bottom. So I put my arms up around the back of my head and she just drove me right into the middle of the pool. Now, are you terrified at this point or is your adrenaline going, I just got to solve this problem or what, like what's going on? I'm not, you're not terrified. You would think you would be, but I often equate it to this. When you have a dog yes, and your dog one day comes up and is nipping at you, you push him away and say, what are you doing? Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. You know, quit messing around. That's how I felt. Yeah, but. This this dog is thirty some feet. Yeah, I mean, how, 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 how many feet? Is, I understand. Is, I get it. But how, when you're in the water every day with them, you lose you, the comprehension of their size and strength. You always have to be aware of it as sure. a trainer. But it's 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 going to work. It's familiar. Yeah, it's yes. it's it's getting in the pool every day. That was my job, and so I was not nervous. I was more nervous about going out underwater than I was about what was happening. 
when mm. she so she took me down she slammed me being in a quarter inch wetsuit um, you're buoyant i came up to the surface gasped for air and then people said well what did it feel like it felt like someone hit me in the gut and then all of a sudden boom i was on my way back down and she took me down again but i saw something to my left and here comes the other whale so all of a sudden i had both whales because that gate was open mm -hmm. on me one was playing and one was mad and you say well how did you know well the second time she took me down she slammed me i started coming up and the one that was very mad angry came at me soon as i hit the water and gasped for air the second time yeah. she rammed me in my side as i hit the surface and she broke my ribs now, which one you said she? Which which one? Is there that? was K now and can do. Uh huh. K now. You may people listening are going to say, "Well, wait a minute. I thought it's Shamu." Yeah. Not to burst anybody's bubble, but Shamu was a stage name. Right. The original Shamu was name was Winston in 1976. That's where they started coming from. But they use Eskimo names. Right. For the whales. Okay. So K now and can do. And Kano was Kano the one who was mad at you? She was. Okay. Kano was the one that was mad and at Kandu's me. Kando was what came out and was playing. When I hit the surface, she hit my side, mm -hmm. then broke, broke the ribs, then right away back down. Well, I had mm. one around my legs and one around my chest. So the one around my legs, I knew she was, it was Kando. She was playing. I could feel her tongue pushing on my leg and doing. Uh -huh. Kanao, who was mad, gripped me around my shoulders, head, and torso. Uh -huh. Killer whales have 48 teeth. Right. And she gripped me tight enough to bruise me. When they did peel my wetsuit, I have 48 teeth marks, bruises on my chest, around my whole chest, and upper torso. She could have taken me and crushed me. She totally could. But God, obviously, you know, I do believe, if you don't believe in the protection of God, I, I could talk to you all day and tell you example after example. Which is a whole fascinating thing to explore, which we want to hear the whole of your story, but maybe at another podcast time. Because there is that element where you could say, well, God should have, God's protection means you were never in any danger. But that's not true. No. You were, sometimes the Lord allows us to go through hard things, but ultimately, so it doesn't look like he's there. And yet, because you're right, I'm sitting here thinking she had 48 teeth around you. Yeah how are you still here yeah well and what happened she gripped me you gotta remember killer whales brains are the size of ours right they are very very smart mm -hmm. she knew how tight to grip me she could have killed me instantly yeah, she, she didn't she, she got me up to the surface grabbed me went through it the whole incident from start to finish lasted a minute and 13 seconds so imagine a minute and 13 seconds and i went down five times underwater broken ribs and what happened during that hit with the ribs mm -hmm. my liver i'm one of those guys that the liver was attached to the side of the body my liver ripped inside my body my damage was all internal yeah i wasn't didn't have flesh ripped or any all my damage was internal mm -hmm. and so when she hit broke the ribs the liver ripped mm -hmm. away we go and it felt like someone hit in the gut now what people don't understand is when you are about to drown mm -hmm. There comes a point when you're almost at the stage to go completely unconscious that you get fuzzy. Yeah. And I was at that stage. The last dunk, 
I couldn't get enough breath or oxygen. I knew, and I knew I was heading up that if I didn't get it, I was going out. I knew that. And I got the breath that I needed and took multiple breaths because we have a signal, Preston, that we give them that is like a peace sign. And that means look away, go to another trainer. They did that. They accepted that at the very end, went to the trainers on stage who had 25 pound stainless steels buckets banging them with food and left me and I popped up in front of the stage looked to my left I could see the whales there and I thought is she gonna let me out I pulled myself up on stage got up on my two feet I grabbed my side waved to the audience and everybody clapped mm -hmm. and I remember for that second thinking am I gonna I'm gonna take control back no, my side hurts too much. And you can see the me grab my side. at this point. You well, don't, you don't even know you, what you're You read about people that lift cars or do things when they're in a... It's absolutely true. I mean, your adrenaline, my adrenaline was so pumping, I pulled myself out of the water, mm -hmm. waved to the audience, walked in the back and collapsed. Right. And, and it didn't stop there, but, but now I was out of danger. But now I couldn't get my breath and it was hurting. And by then, the show ended... Uh, they did, and the people left the stadium. And we had a red phone in there that was an emergency phone that went to the nurse's station up front. Well, they knew things were happening, and the nursing came. And I, I couldn't get my breath. They knew I had broken ribs, so they actually called Life Flight. And the fire department and everybody came, and they landed a helicopter in the parking lot. And, and the public was out of the view. And believe it or not, even though the news cameras were there, they turned their cameras to the kids when I got done with the, with, with the audience mm -hmm, member and things because mm -hmm. they thought that was a section of the show and they wanted to see the kids' reaction. So they didn't tape my accident. Some Japanese, ex students, some Japanese exchange students brought me a VHS tape because those full-size cameras would hold the tape back then. Right. They brought me a tape of the accident, which is the video you're referring to online. Okay. I actually copyrighted that. Did you? I did. But okay. the reality is it is on video. I do have it. Um, and that's how I got it. But what happened from there, and I often tell people, this is where your true faith comes in God. People believe, well, when you're sick or you're bad, that's when you turn to your faith. I say, you know, yeah, I was bad. I was hurting, but I didn't know what was wrong. And, and I went, God, I'm hurting. What's happening here? helicopter lands we get in the helicopter and that's a whole that's another story they load me in the helicopter they didn't put my arms down we took off we went to mercy hospital mm -hmm. we had a, a gentleman in a blue jumpsuit who was a, a, a big guy and he was a bald guy and i remember there was a metal iv bag above me and I said, what are you doing in, in the helicopter? And if you've been in a helicopter, there's rotor wash and noise. Mm -hmm. And it was loud because we had taken off. And he's over, this guy, big guy's over me. I said, what are you doing? And I pushed him away. Well, his face and head hit the IV metal bar bag that holds the IV bags. Mm -hmm. And you know what happens when you get a head wound? It cut him like an inch and a half. Oh, above his eye well what happens when you get a head wound it bleeds yeah so he starts gushing blood on me and my torso so when we land and everybody five fights. minutes away yeah he's screaming it's my blood not his because all they know is a killer whale's been hurt trainer and yeah. coming so he's yelling at them it's his blood not mine 
And when we land, so you had that whole chaotic, chaotic, yeah. chaos going on. They got me down into the hospital and I needed to go to the restroom very badly. And they cut my wetsuit off, which we have here. And what happened was no problem. Help me. I knew I had broken ribs. He says, you have broken ribs, but we're going to get to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Can I go to the restroom? Yeah, here you go. And not to be gross, but they handed me a little bottle. So they helped me stand up next to the bed. I could not go. Mm. I could not go. And so they all looked at each other. Long story short, they knew something was wrong, got me in, did a catheter, and blood was in my abdomen. Right. So they knew right away. They rushed me into surgery. I remember Dr. Tanaka leaning over to me, and here I was, a 21-year-old kid laying in a gurney in a room, and him looking over and said, listen, here's what's going on. We got we to gotta get you in surgery. Boom, boom, boom. I said, I need to talk to my mom or dad. So I called them mm-hmm. and I put the phone over and my parents talked to the doctor. And then he said, we're going to prep you. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to you know, cut you. You're bleeding internally. We need to get to it. And you know, Preston, I can honestly say, I remember it clear as day. I wasn't scared. I, I just remember saying, God, it's in... It's in your hands. Yeah, as a 21-year-old. Right. It's in your hands. And I was by myself, and, and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of buzz going on. I, I, I have often told people, because as you know and I've shared, I, I have had surgeries since then sure. because of this accident. Yeah. And most recently, a year ago at Mayo Clinic, they reconstructed my whole abdomen. Wow. And surgery was eight and a half hours. And I often tell people, the most, the loneliest place on the face of the earth, whether you're a Christian or not, is when you are wheeling down the aisle into an operating room mm-hmm. and you're seeing the lights go by. It's just you. But when you're a Christian, you're not alone. Yeah. You have the faith of, and, and the spirit of God and he, you're with you and there's a fulfillment of not being scared. You know, I wasn't scared to die. Even right. at 20 years old, 21 years old, I knew that God was first and he was my savior. He had died for me. I had accepted him and I lived my life that way. And they roll me in. I go into surgery. They open me up for my abdomen. And back in the 80s, there was no, you know, they had, they started experimenting with some mesh, but they needed to get to me. My liver had a three inch gash rip. Right. I had bled out. And back then, AIDS was a big deal. Mm -hmm. So little did I know they were lining people up from people I worked with and things to screen for their blood that for because they were checking for AIDS and my blood type in case I needed it. Right. So I had lost half my blood content. They chose not to give me a transfusion because of my age and it would recover. I remember I was on iron pills, but they went in, repaired everything. I was in the hospital for two weeks. Um, many elementary schools made me get well cards. Two UPS trucks came to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so remember their afternoon art project right. was a get well card. Uh, and so the, the, the community of San Diego and the outreach was absolutely unbelievable. But I, by, but I say to people, you know what? I was a Christian. And God was first. And I can honestly tell you face to face, I was never scared. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I would die because you don't think about that. My last surgery, I did. But I I said, hey, 
I, if you want me, I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, but the reality was, I thought, God, man, this is brutal. But through that whole time, I trusted the Lord. And to this day, I've used this to, to be an inspiration to him to say, are you ready to die? Because you can get up in the morning, have a bowl of golden grams. You can drive to work. Something could happen. You can be at a school. In today's world, it's a hard world. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, if you have Christ first, there's nothing for you to worry about. Because in, in the end, everybody's going to die. Yeah. So, you know, are you ready? And, and, and I've named that, are you truly ready to die? Because whether it's two killer whales you come face to face with, my whole life changed in that minute and 13 seconds. It did for everything, for, for eternal, but, you know, from what we were able to go through and my repair and my getting back on my feet. And did I get back in the pool? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was a kid. Uh, matter of fact, I even lied and forged my paperwork to go back earlier right. uh, and got back in the pool. And I had forgotten I gave my doctor's passes to come to SeaWorld. Right. And they he brought his family. And that was when I returned and I wasn't supposed to return. And he's there watching the show. And I did the show. And then this guy, Park Ops, comes up, said, there's a Dr. Tanaka here. And my heart sank. I forgot I gave him the passes to come. Right. And here <laughs> I got caught. Yeah, <laughs> I messed right. up. Yeah. But... But that, that was a small piece of what took place that day. Now, when you said your life changed in that, that minute and 30 some sec, uh, in what way? I mean, I hear your faith. You were, you were Christian beforehand. Um, obviously, you hear your faith throughout. But like when you say that, what, what were some of those things that, I don't know what you would say, takeaways from that moment? What, what did you pull from that in which your life changed? Yeah. You know, obviously, physically, you've had to have multiple surgeries. Absolutely. Like I, here's what, how I answer that, Preston. I think it's easy to talk about being a Christian. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say you're a Christian. At 21 years old, it's to do the right things. Hey, I came up through the youth group and I did everything right and to do it. But when you're in a hospital room at 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. and you're hurting and you know you're a Christian, God, you know, I know you're taking care of me, but. It starts building from that point on, from that accident, what is true faith? Mm -hmm. And how do I take that and incorporate it into my life even further? How do I be a shining beacon maybe to other people? Mm. How do I really put my true trust in God? Because that's why I love, you know, uh, with the Bible reading we've been doing this past year. Yes. Okay. I'll be the first to admit sitting here mm -hmm. at 56 years old, I have never read, read the Bible cover to cover. Mm -hmm. I never have. Right. I've read pieces. And when you're young, you just don't do those things. But that day changed and shaped me for the rest of my life as I went on into business and the things that I did. It, it gave, first, it gave me a platform okay. to be able to maybe uh, talk about some things I normally couldn't. It gave me a platform where people, I would be in a position to talk and people would listen, but it's not just to talk and listen. It's, could I could I give a message? Could God be a tool and work through me mm -hmm. that may bring people closer to him yeah, yeah. or may bring people to him? Because I was just a normal guy. Right. That's all. Yeah, I was yeah. nobody special. I wasn't famous. I wasn't any of that. But utilizing that from that day on, God became more uh, tangible in my life. Mm. 
and more real in the things that I did every day from then. And certainly as parents, you pray for your kids. As uh, young adults, you pray, I got to get a good grade on this test, right? Uh, all of those, all I those get, things. I under all of those things. But in reality, my prayer started being, God, what can, what will you do with my life? Where are you going to take me? What am I going to do? And how can I influence people? And my wife and family would probably tell you today, my wife's the most, you know, there's God, my wife and my kids, and then people. Mm -hmm. I believe in that. I believe in helping people. I believe in going above and beyond. I believe in calling people, pick two people a week and call them and just say, how are you today? What's happening? Mm -hmm. And being that encourager, there was a male nurse that helped me in, at that period of time. And back then, with female male nurses, they all were wonderful people. Male nurses had strength. Right. And he literally could get me and get me moving and, and do some things. And I have a very deep respect for male nurses mm -hmm. um, not and female nurses. Don't get me wrong. But I will tell you, I became friends with with a lot of these folks. Mm -hmm. And and could I have a ministry? Could I could I share maybe just a positive thing that said, yeah, I was attacked by killer whales. But you know what's more important is God. Mm -hmm. and and having him and you living for him and doing those things but every day is something new you don't know what's going to happen the day you get up in the morning and step out your door because mm. your whole life could change whether you're a killer whale trainer whether you're a businessman whether you're a school teacher it makes no difference so every day can be changed that is an amazing story Jonathan. uh i think there's so much more we could talk about uh Thank you for sharing that. Oh, that's my pleasure. That's really amazing. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing. Thanks for being with us and sharing your story. Well, I'm I'm glad, and I I would love to come back. Uh, if if I can ever come back, I got a lot of great stories. Uh, but uh, thank you for taking the time. And I would just say, you know what, uh, God is real. Yeah. And and in the world we live in, as I've gotten older and am a parent. And, and I look at the world and, and I've been in, God has allowed me to be in positions at times that I say, wow, uh, if you don't put him first in your life, you are missing the boat. There, there, there is grace and blessings and things God gives you that if you don't have him first, truly, you may never understand what, how you would have been blessed or the situation he would have put you in. Uh, all of those things you would miss out on. Mm. And, and people don't understand that, yeah. I think, at times. And I am, would I exchange it for anything in the world? No, because it's made me who I am today. Yeah. The pain, the suffering, the multiple surgeries... Since then, because I've had hernias, I did everything I wasn't supposed to. Once I did have surgery, I was young. I water skied, wakeboarded. I did everything I wasn't supposed to and ripped my stomach up more and did everything. I used to say my stomach used to ripple. Now it's Coast Guard approved for buoyancy. Uh, <laughs> the reality is um, God has had a plan in all of it. And if that's one story to people listening that go, wow. Because there's very few of us that have been in the mouth of a killer whale. I would think. Very few in the world. But the reality is that's just one story. But God has a story for everybody. Yeah. And, and, and you just got to allow him 
and make sure you're open to listening to him and allow him to teach you from that and be a part of that. That's fantastic. So thanks. Thank you. Well, Jonathan, I think really you kind of summarized that really well. I, I don't know that I will add a lot, except I will share this one verse comes to mind uh, through your story um, because your, your finish summarized it, like I said, really well. But I kept thinking of this verse, and I'm going to paraphrase it here. I'm not going to get it totally right. But it's 2 Corinthians 1, and it's 3 through 5, where it's praise be to the God of all comforts who comforts us and I think it says in our moment of weakness, so that we can comfort others with the comfort we have received. And so that's kind of what I hear in your story is that, um, and like you said, any of us can face a hard moment, whether it is a true life or death situation. Maybe we just feel like it's life or death, uh, that we're under the gun, whether this, there's the chronic weight we're bearing or... Maybe someone we've loved has passed away. Uh, whatever that moment is, God wants to meet us in that moment and transform that moment. Like we were saying earlier, he doesn't always protect us in, this, in the sense of shielding us from those moments. That's right. But he does protect us. Yes. And he He transforms that moment. And that's kind of what I hear and for what I've seen and, and know of you, Jonathan. That's what you've allowed the Lord to do in your life, to, uh, to take that moment and go, okay, Jesus, now... With this moment that I have today, I have no idea what's going to happen today, but that's full of possibility. Jesus, I have no idea how you're going to use today. In the ordinaryness, you can get used to things and just like you got used to being in the tank with killer whales. You just get used to wild things, but we don't, we can, we can choose not to take those things for granted. That's right. And just see Jesus in those moments. So thank you for that. That's, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's, I want to wrap it up. That's it for this episode of Red Mountain Community Church podcast. Now you can follow this podcast uh, or you can follow Red Mountain Community Church on Instagram and Facebook uh, where you can also leave us comments and suggestions to make the show better. We're always open for that. Uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast when, when it, wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on the next episode. Uh, in the meantime, I'm Preston Hancock. Thank you again, Jonathan, for being with us. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll see you on Sunday.